Hello, everybody. This week's episode's a little different, and I I feel like I sound like I've been drinking a little bit. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe just a little bit. Uh, essentially, we had a interview lined up that at the last minute didn't uh, work out, so we, we had to reschedule. Yeah, just had to reschedule. We're going to provide you that same content because it's actually very valuable. But uh, in the interim, we had to come up with another plan. So this week, so we've been talking about feelings a lot and things to think about before sitting down and working out the nooks and crannies of your business. We thought it'd be a great time to do a little throwback to a simpler time. <laughs> a simpler time when uh, we were both recording in the same place and uh, arguably... In a car. In, in a car, actually, as it were. Yeah. In the desert. Yeah, it was really hot. I remember we turned the AC off for uh, for the audio, and it was really hot. But we have some uh, pretty decent questions about trying to find yourself and some self-discovery Yeah, about your work and your business life. So here's a throwback to that. Really helps establish um, kind of those main goals that we were talking about last week. I also had this thought during the week, which I thought, would be our main conversation of this podcast mm-hmm. about uh, this question of who am I? Fuck. Because, <laughs> well, I feel like every year, at least once a year, I have like a, a breakdown. It's like, why am I still doing this? What's going on? Who, who am I? Like, should I give up on the dream basically? And so I thought it'd be, and, I've, and I have this conversation with a lot of other people that are creatives. And so I thought, let's 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 make a game out of this. Okay. <laughs> I know you've read uh, Chuck Klosterman's Twenty Three Questions to Know If You Could Love Somebody. I forgot that that's what it's titled. Also, weirdly enough, I used to. <laughs> this is going to sound really dickish, but I used to call him Klosterman. Turns out his name is Klosterman. Klosterman. Yeah. Weird. Weird indeed. Um, let's take a moment and process that. <laughs> Sorry, irrelevant, I know. Yeah, yeah, Chuck Klosterman, he uh, writes a lot of really great books, although to be fair, he recently has written novels, actually. He usually writes nonfiction, um, but he recently wrote some novels, and I did not read those. Um, I've only read one book. Which one's that? Uh, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. Arguably one of the best, although I would say you should definitely pick up Killing Yourself to Live. It's the best one. Because it was, they talked about mixtapes? They talked about Saved by the Bell and these 23 questions. Yeah. Yeah. And the questions were pretty cool and, like, like make you think. And I thought they were interesting. Uh-huh. So I thought, what if we apply these question, these types of questions to figure out who we are and what we want to do when we grow up? Okay. So, I don't know. Have you ever had these thoughts or, like, this this moment of, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> what should I do with my, uh, my Nearly career? daily. <laughs> the only days where I don't have those kind of thoughts is either when I'm so entirely busy that I don't have time to ponder those sorts of things, or the days where I'm actively avoiding asking myself those questions because I don't want to like have a real answer about where I'm at at the moment. Okay. But, but yeah, I, I think about those things all the time. So... Um... I don't know. Do we just want to hop right into these weird questions that I came up with? Some weird questions. I'm I'm game. Let's do it. These weird questions I came up to figure out what to do when, okay. you, when you grow up, basically. All right. I don't know. All right, here we go. You ready for question number one? Question number one. Fire it at me. All right. It's the year 2024. 
And believe it or not, we're living we're living in a post post apocalyptic world. <laughs> A post-post-apocalyptic world. Right. So the whole world's been destroyed. Uh-huh. All paper records have been destroyed. All digital data has been erased. Okay. By multiple EMPs. <laughs> but the world's been rebuilt, and the place, it looks normal. Okay. So, like, basically all the information has been erased and deleted. So everything everything has been wiped. Right. But society's back to functioning as now we're normal. Back to we're being not, like, cave people. Right. Okay. So now it's time for you to become a contributing member of society again. Okay. So with money and education no longer a tool used to define your status, uh huh. what is your deepest, darkest dream job that you would give yourself in this new world? Ooh. Okay. So, okay, so it's a post-post-apocalyptic world. We function as a society, but there's no record of me ever being in college. There's no record of me ever not being in grad school or anything like that. Basically, what you're saying is titles have become meaningless. Basically. And I wanted, I wanted to add a caveat to this, that you can't give yourself a medical job. A medical job? Like, you can't be a surgeon. I don't want to be a start surgeon. start cutting people open. Well, no. I mean, like that, that needs some sort of certification process. <laughs> well, I, I don't think, like, even in a post, post-apocalyptic world, I'm pretty sure once you just go wrist deep in a, into a, you know, human torso and you fucking kill them, I'm pretty sure people realize that you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's okay because I wouldn't want to be in a medical profession anyways. I'm pretty great under pressure, but I don't like to really put myself, like, I don't want to put anyone's hands or life in my hands, mm-hmm. so to speak, or hands on my life. What? Anyways, um... Okay, uh, actually, so, weirdly enough, I really enjoy um, high-level problem-solving. Okay. Like, that's kind of been the case. Um, I started reading the Sherlock Holmes books when I was, uh, I think, in the sixth grade. Uh, I remember, because I don't, I had had this teacher named, not Mr. Ryder, maybe it was Mr. Ryder, I'm not sure who it was, either way, Um, and and he gave me those books, and so I started reading those at that, that point in time. And, uh, although I didn't really get that far into them until a much later time, but that's, that's kind of my thing. I enjoy having like a deep knowledge base and being able to problem solve off of that. So a lot of times I've kind of, uh, enjoyed the idea of being uh, a detective, but I think a way to extrapolate from that, the key ingredients of the parts that I like versus the part I don't like, weirdly, I think I could be a politician. Okay. Um, problem solving, structuring things, putting things together, rebuilding this uh, post-post-apocalyptic world, that sort of thing, um, getting things in order, like, that's that's kind of my jam. That sounds pretty cool. You know what I mean? Like, I, uh, I, the reason why I'm not aiming to be a politician now is because we are not in the post, we are in the pre-apocalyptic world, and all politicians are full of shit, sorry. I don't. I don't mean to politicize myself here. But, oh boy, here we go. Yes, <laughs> strap in. But no, I, I. I think that it's it's more about gaming than it is about um, problem solving. Right. And that's that's something that I like. I actively enjoy doing. Like that's what you know. This business development thing is is because it doesn't. It's not politicized. It's not gaming. All I'm doing is I'm either solving problems for myself as an individual or solving problems for clients. Right. I'm I'm figuring out. I'm doing the legwork to figure out the best ways to do any certain thing, or kind of um, 
uh, or or kind of you know fix things, like, right? And any kind of um, campaigns that have gone awry, or any kind of uh, you know you you put something out there like in my in my previous job, there was a lot of things that just they were not doing successfully at the time I came in, and I came in with an open mind and rectified those issues as best as I could. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to do. So I think not that I want to be the law or anything like that, but in this post post apocalyptic world, if I could be in some kind of authority figure or some sort of position of authority where I'm called upon just to like solve issues and create infrastructure and operations stuff. I mean, that's, that's what I'd like to do. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What about you? I don't know. I wrote this question. I didn't think, <laughs> It'd be fired back at you. Yeah. Hum. I don't know. Let me think. On the post-post-apocalyptic world. I mean, we still need entertainment. I guess so. You know what I mean? Like, that. that is something, like... Uh, it's not immediately on like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, food, water, shelter, that kind of stuff. Right. But I, I think that's what, you know, when you see the leap in human evolution, I think a lot of that became apparent. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get a whole bunch of people on the comments or something just telling me I'm so fucking wrong. But uh, human brains expanded at a rapid pace yeah. and, and not humans as we know them now. This was like... You know, uh, I forget what they're called, Neanderthals, but not really, uh, like the next step up, or I'm not sure. Anyways, the the human brain expanded at a rapid pace, and we're not really sure why. But ever since that happened, there was communication, and with communication comes storytelling. With storytelling comes you know whatever. Like that is just a function of humanity. And I think uh, if you don't like take a look at take a look at it now, if you like only absorb the bare minimum mm -hmm. of stuff, you don't learn anything. You don't create anything. You don't, you know, whatever. I think that is actually like shrinking your brain size. I think it's important. I think, I think entertainment is important. I think create, creating stuff is important. And I think storytelling is important because that's basically how you communicated a message. Right. You know, like, isn't that ultimately what the Bible was all about? And again, I've never read the Bible. Probably people oh, are telling me I'm so full of shit. Here we go. But that was just an idea that, you know, like, okay, here's how we function together. You know, not just as a singular unit or not as a uh, singular tribe, but as a widespread community, here's how we function right. with these, you know, the golden rule and all that kind of stuff. Those were stories, but they're stories that communicate an important message. Right. I think I would be in some, um, something communication wise, yeah. you know, not, not like news technically per se, <laughs> but like how like education is delivered, you know, yeah, stories yeah. are delivered, like working in that process of helping content, become available to the masses. I think uh -huh. that's yeah, that's yeah. where I would be in this post-apocalyptic world. All right. Yeah. That's a good spot. How do you feel? I feel good. Cool. You ready for the second question? All right. Question number two. Is it getting serious now? This one's the heavy one. Oh, shit. This one is like, I don't know where this one came up, came from. Probably, from, this was probably inspired by you. <laughs> Christ, this is going to be depressing. Yeah. <laughs> So it's the future, and you've lived the perfect life. Okay. You have your version of that ideal, uh, your version of the, uh, that ideal of, you know, house in the suburbs with the white picket fence and 2.5 children. Oh, man. You're living the perfect life, right? Okay. And this is all supported by your dream job. 
you're working your dream job, you're happy in your career, you're happy with your life in the future. Where's the bot? All right. <laughs> Everything that can go right with this career does. Okay. You're promoted regularly. Your, your pay is phenomenal. Okay. Phenomenal. Uh, your office walls are covered with all of your accomplishments from this said career. That sounds awesome. Yep. So you retire with ease at the age of 65. Okay. And as you stand on your porch watching the sunset on the first day of your retirement, sipping your coffee or tea, whatever you're drinking, uh-huh. you look back at your career and you reflect. Okay. And this is the question I, I'm, I'm proposing right now. Okay. Did you, pursue, uh, did you pursue this career to shut your parents up or to inspire your children? Oh, shit. Okay, that's that's a super actually relevant question in a weird way because those are those are basically the balancing acts that I continuously have. Um, at this juncture, and well, okay, so here's kind of how I'm breaking it down, um, and this is going to sound like a humble brag. Okay, I'm I'm ready for and that, it, and it might be, but it's also true. The weird thing about the the reason why I can totally believe that this question was inspired by me is because I end up doing things like that a lot, where I am, uh, I'm doing stuff to, to, to please other people, Mm -hmm. I guess is what I mean in, in like a very general sort of sense. Um, and, and that's kind of the weird thing is like, I actually have never failed at a whole lot of things. And like I know that sounds like that sounds like a humble brag, or it, maybe not even a humble brag, just in general. But it's kind of like like for instance, um, my college degree. I was very fascinated in it, everything like that, but I didn't pick a science degree because I loved science going in. Uh-huh. That happened to be a byproduct of it. But I did a science degree because both my parents are scientists, and because like oh yeah, that's how you have a good life, and they're smart, and like I want to be smart too. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. And so it's kind of interesting that something I wasn't even passionate about, I ended up in the top of my class. So it's like I have a high ability to do the shit out of something, but it doesn't mean that I actually enjoy it. Right. You know what I mean? So, so okay. It sounds like you enjoy the fact that you were able to be good at whatever you accomplished. Right. It's, it's not actually about the process in and of itself. For me, like I was just so results oriented. Right. You know what I mean? So, so in terms of this career, I mean, I guess that's a, an interesting dichotomy because on the one hand, did I do something that I ended up being completely successful on that maybe, and here's the question, I, I guess the question would not to answer your question with a question, but here we go. But if this is a perfect, like, like you said, this was my dream job or this is, you know, whatever, then I must have actually gotten satisfaction out of doing it, right? Right. Because if I didn't, that wouldn't be my dream job. Like, I can do something. You can put me in a cubicle and I can get work done. Well, let's say it's not your dream job, but a job, a career. Okay. Yeah. See, that's I different. Should, I'm going to edit this. Strike that from the record. Strike that. Reverse it. Put that thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Yep. Um, okay, so so that kind of gives some leeway. Honestly, I would say at the moment, or or maybe even a couple of years ago, I would say I probably did it to shut my parents up. But, 
And of, of course, it sounds, you know, trite or stupid to be mm. like, oh, no, but now I've changed because everyone always thinks they have and people don't really change. Right. But that said, I do think that things have kind of changed for me in the past year, maybe two, where I'm growing less concerned because that's, I mean, this is a conversation you and I have had a lot where I'm always worried about turning 35 and I'm worried about, um, sorry, <laughs> and, <I've, laughs> and I'm worried about, um, you know, like how I'm going to support my life and how I'm going to do whatever. And it's kind of like, it, it, this again sounds stupid, but as I've lived more, I've become less concerned with that because I realize how I can get away with things that I do. Like I am living comfortably right now and I'm doing a job where I, at the moment, like I'm building something, but some, the thing that I do to pay the bills isn't really substantive. It's right. something I could do easily. And, and yet it pays for all my bills and then some. Mm -hmm. And so I've become actually weirdly less worried about that. And now I'm actually more worried about those kind of other things like a legacy or doing something that matters, having this weird kind of, um, uh, existential idea that, you know, this is for all, for argument's sake, my one shot at the ride. Right. And I want to actually really fully spend it and enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of has changed my perspective into like, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to maybe, maybe not do something that is, you know, the immediate like, oh, your parents brag about you at social gatherings and like, oh, maybe you're not making, you know, ha hand over fist, but you're doing something that you really actually enjoy. And I'm spending my one shot at the ride. Well, right. Well, I think that that was all intent of this question was, are you doing this to fulfill something that you want to do? Or are you doing this because someone told you it's your best option? Yeah, I think that takes a certain boldness. And some people like I know people who are just born like that. Mm -hmm. For instance, my sister has always known what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. And even when she hit some kind of road bumps, road bumps, that's not a fucking thing. Sure. Road pimples. <laughs> road, blo road blocks or speed bumps. I, I don't know where I went with that. But even when, even when stuff got difficult, she just reassessed, reevaluated, and then reengaged, mm -hmm. which is a fucking great tagline, by the way. There's our bumper. Boom. Let's make a sticker. <laughs> but... But then there are people like myself who are kind of a little bit more lost in the process. And it just took time. Like, that sounds cheesy and it sounds really played out. But that's, on, that's the honest-to-God truth. Mm -hmm. I still haven't quite figured it out. But I'm closer now, I know, than I was directly out of college or anything else like that. So I guess, I guess I'm heading towards the direction to answer your question finally in a really roundabout sort of way. I guess I'm kind of working towards... Or I'm, I'm approaching the time where I'm going to pick a career based on on inspiring my kids. But at the you know beforehand, I would definitely have answered it the alternative way. Right. Well, I think I would like to think that I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. But I think this is you know it definitely is like a process type thing. Yeah. Because the younger you are, you're you, you've lived your entire life listening to these authority authoritative figures. And you're like, oh, I got to listen. They know what's best, right? Right. And they're coming from a place where they want what's best for you. Right. But, you know, at some point you have to realize that you're not doing your life for them. You need to do it for yourself and making your own choices and decisions to move forward 
is more fulfilling and more gratifying. Right. And, and not to be, you know, rude or anything like that, but it's like you, I kind of came to a realization that when it comes to a certain field, my dad knows everything. He's great. He's a genius. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to other stuff, maybe he actually doesn't know what's best. Maybe I actually know something he doesn't. Right. And that's a really weird concept to like orient yourself about because you're used to exactly what you said. You're used to basically having most of the instructive years of your life being handed down to you by these people. But then you have to come to terms with the idea that, oh, actually, I'm probably right about this and they're not. Right. Because I think there's something to be said of like obeying what your parents say and then honoring what your parents say. Right. So your parents are coming from a place of good intentions. They want what's best for you. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you know how to get to where you want to be best. You know that better than them. Right. And if you get to where you want to be and you're happy and you're feeling great, if you're well accomplished, you've achieved goals, they're going to be happy for you. Right. They should be. They should be. Right. So you're kind of in the middle, too? I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. I think it's a balancing act. I think those are two difficult constructs to be entirely one way or the other. But I think that that also goes hand in hand, just like you can be a complete risk taker and sometimes that pays off really well. Right. Sometimes you end up making a lot of money or sometimes people enjoy your venture so much that, you know, whatever, you're very successful. But sometimes, and more often than not, you end up um, losing all your money gambling. Right, you know, exactly. You're a complete risk taker. But on the other hand, if you don't take any risks at all and you exclusively, you know, try and ride the straight and narrow, maybe you miss an opportunity. Maybe there's something that, like, if you had just kind of been a little bit bolder, it would have paid off in, you know, dividends. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that. I think finding the middle ground is key. Balance. 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 Which kind of leads into the final question. That I came up with this last week. You ready for this? Sure, lay it on me. And you'll let me know if my science is correct. Okay. Because there's science in this one. Uh, you sign up for a brand new internet service. Okay. It's 10 gig high speed internet. Fuck yeah. Super fast, right? The fastest ever, and it's the most expensive. But with all these extra radio waves, it's affected your brain. Shit. You've developed a new form of Erbach-Weiss disease. Am I supposed to know what that is? It's a disease that destroys your amygdala. Amygdala? Terrible. Amygdala. Amygdala. Jesus oh Christ. <laughs> I have. I had the uh, the crocodile one. The dula amygdala. What was that? Medulla oblongata. Yeah. What was? Is that from Happy Gilmore? You haven't seen that movie. Why am I even? No. I, <laughs> I have. I just don't recall that particular. What was that one? Medulla amygdala? Amygdala. 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 All right. So you no longer have fear. Okay. Okay. You are now a fearless human being. Yeah. What steps would you take to make your deepest, darkest dream job come true? Hmm. Well, okay. So, first of all, I don't think this question is that far off, off the mark because I'm pretty sure, like, cell phones or something has to be killing me. I'm pretty sure. All right. Well, I wasn't thinking about that part of the science. I was thinking about my terrible pronunciation of amygdala. <laughs> right. And I will continue to think about that for days to come. Yeah. This is not going to go away. No. Anytime I'm, soon. I'm going to, like, man, I'm going to 
cut that audio and just use that as my ringtone or something. Anyways, um, okay, so so essentially I have a complete inhibition of fear. Um, also, you know, check your neuroscience because the amygdala right, has a part in that, but so does the prefrontal cortex, a lot of other... But but that's besides the point. I'm, I'm getting too bogged down in the literal. Uh, the point is you have no fear. Yeah, okay, so, so I think the... What that breaks down to is something that I was touching on on the earlier question was that basically I would have no reticence to be bold. Right. So what steps would I take to make my deepest, darkest dream job happen? Um, This is another one of those things that I kind of wish that I knew or like I was aware of when I was younger. But again, it kind of just took me some time and it kind of took me growing up a little bit in a different sort of way. Um, So... The number one thing I would say is that I would probably ask for things. Like, it seems super fundamental and it seems really dumb, but that's something that I never did until recently. Mm -hmm. I was from the school of thought that if I, like, like I, you know, perform really well in the classroom and I perform, you know, whatever, I'm really great at taking tests and I'm really great at studying and I'm really great at memorizing shit and blah, 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 all the things that school kind of rewards. But I didn't ever boast and I never asked anyone for any opportunity. I never asked, oh, hey, can I do this or will you give me that? Mm -hmm. I just assumed, oh, people will give it to you if you just work hard and you just keep your head down, whatever. And that's kind of not how it works. Because people assume you're not interested. Like, there's no way of knowing that you actually want something unless you vocalize it. Right. Similarly, there's a whole lot of stuff you can learn from people if you just ask them for help. And I always, um, I have like a pretty, pretty solid, you know, imposter syndrome where I was so worried that people would discover that I'm not as smart as other people make me out to be. Which, I mean, that was a running theme in my life. Everyone always told me I was smart. They made me skip a grade because apparently I was too smart. Mm-hmm. They, you know, my my chemistry teacher in high school told me like, oh, no, 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 the class is just going to, you know, weigh you down. You're too smart for this. You just take the test whenever you want. What? Like, I didn't have to stick to a curriculum because of his idea of who I was. Not even anything I had demonstrated to him yet. Uh-huh. He just had heard that I was really smart and he said that like, oh, our class is too slow for you. You just go ahead. Weird. Yeah. It's like, first of all, that's not how high school should work. That's pretty unfair to everyone else. But, but that was kind of the thing. I never asked anyone for help because I was afraid that it would look weak or that it would look like I'm not the person that all these people are making me out to be. But that's kind of the thing. Mm -hmm. You can be so much better if you're not understanding something Ask somebody. Hire a tutor. Do something like that. If you want to become more fit, get a personal trainer. Like, do those things. Right. Like, have the... Or if you can't afford that, you can't afford a tutor, you can't whatever, go onto the internet and, like, go onto a forum, a message board. Ask people. There is an intrinsic community around you. And a lot of people, most people, want to help mm-hmm. in some way. Maybe it's because of reciprocity. They think that, like, oh, if I give to someone you know, they'll give back. So, I mean, that's the idea that there is no true altruism. Or maybe it is that we do have this deep innate need to help fellow mankind. I'm not really sure which one it is. I I can't speculate on that. But 
but I think the number one thing that I would do if I, you know, no longer had fear because I had this super great fear of asking for help, I would ask for help. I would ask for help in learning things. I would ask for help in doing stuff. I would ask for opportunities. I would say, hey, I know you have this coming up or you have this position or you whatever. I want it. Like, let me demonstrate to you how I can do that. Because that's something, again, like I keep talking about this last year of my life, but that's something I really only started doing recently. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to ask people for anything because I was afraid. And and now I'm definitely, you know, I'm realizing how much more could have been accomplished. I'm not like sad about it because I'm excited about what's to come. Right. But that would be the number one thing for me. I would I would ask for help and I would ask for opportunities. All right. Those are pretty... What was, what's so scary about those? Um, I, I don't think I ever realized how competitive I am. And competition is healthy. Competition is good. But to a certain degree, it actually becomes pretty negative. And I'm always riding the line. You know what I mean? Like, on the one hand, my competitiveness makes me do stuff other people won't. Mm-hmm. It makes me, you know read books or like do things, stay up on things that other people don't. It makes me, you know, go to the gym even when I don't feel like it, those sorts of things. But on the other hand, it also makes me too self-aware and too kind of conscious of what other people are doing. And to a degree, you kind of have to separate yourself and silence yourself because, um, I think Aubrey Marcus, CEO of Onnit, like one of my favorite humans on the planet, um, has said it you know, he was talking about, in context of, he has an open relationship with um, his uh, fiance now. And because that's how fucking evolved he is, that he can, he can do things like oh. that, which is way beyond me. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about how, you know, his, uh, because he's like in the fitness industry and all that kind of stuff, his now fiance would, you know, kind of start seeing these uh, athletes, like fighters even. And then he would go and like, be working out on the bag all heavy and like punching and like you know trying to be a fighter and he's like wait why am i trying to do that i have my own flavor so to speak like why am i trying to do somebody else's thing and compete on that level when i'm competitive and i'm good at my own stuff Mm -hmm. so that's kind of the thing it's like i i need to figure out how to not be worried about another person's success or what another person thinks about me and that's what's scary about asking for help and asking for things i just i don't want to seem inferior which is a rational fear but also a little simplistic a little like i should be beyond that you know what i mean yeah but i think we all kind of struggle with that i'm i'm having some growing pains at the moment in fact like very recent kind of stuff is all kind of built about that i compare myself to other people altogether way too much so I guess that's another thing that I would do if uh, if I didn't have, you know, an amygdala or a fear instinct. I probably wouldn't be so worried about appearing foolish or I wouldn't be worried about how I stack up against other people. I mean, that would probably do wonders for me. <laughs> Change your world. Yeah. I'm, we're about to go take an ice pick to my brain. <laughs> I don't know. What about you? What... What what's kind of uh, what fears are holding you back right now from pursuing everything you want? I think the thing that's really holding me back is this fear of putting something out there and it not being good enough. Like the qual the production of quality. Mostly it's all mostly technical stuff. Like the things I feel most confident in are like storytelling and like characters and all this other 
like story things that you can write down on paper, but uh-huh. but being able to translate that into a film into a movie is what I fear most. So like actually having it come to full fruition, like the the camera work's not going to be great, the lighting's not going to be great, performances. Uh-huh. I didn't get the great performances. I let, yeah yeah. I let coverage let fighting get that one cool shot. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mm-hmm. I don't have a style. I like they, like these are things that I. It's like, so then why am I even doing this? Why should I put this out there? Right. So there's this fear of that. And just this, this fear of nobody liking it. Yeah, I can, I can imagine how as a creative, if you really put something out there and nobody responds, that's going to be damaging as fuck. Right. So it's just, you know, I've kind of learned, it's taken a very long time to learn how to put things out there and getting that fear of, like, oh, like, I need to write this down and learning how to force myself to write this idea down onto a piece of paper. And just doing that in its and that in itself is just like this crazy process of like opening up your soul and pouring it down into words and characters and stuff. And it's it's a weird thing that now I have to share this with people. I want people to read this. But why? What if they don't like it? What if they don't connect with it the way that I was trying to portray? Yeah. So that's you know, it's like, ugh, that's weird. It's a weird thing. Yeah. And then I, now I want to go out and ask people to read these words and become these characters. And I want to set up a camera, but throw some lights on and make sure it looks really cool and nice. It's like, what if I don't do that well? Yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. And so I've slowly learned how to just kind of just like do it, just like force myself to do it. And I, and I've, I've said this a lot, but it's all about progress and not perfection. And I feel like the more I do it, the more I feel more comfortable doing it. And the better things look and the better things sound and, you know, all the things are better throughout. So there's that fear. I have a fear of having that title of producer, of director. Mm -hmm. You know, do I deserve that? That type of mindset, you know. There's, There's people that do way better things than I do, but... Who am I to throw, right. my, throw yeah. my name into the hat? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's kind of this idea that, you know, you're. It, it's kind of something we were talking about actually on the drive up here. You're so aware of kind of, I guess, everything else that's going on around you. Like mm-hmm. you're not 100% centrally focused, and which is a good thing, you know, but at the same time that lends perspective, and part of that perspective is understanding that as good as you are at certain things, there are people around you who are doing things even better. Right. And there are people who do this better, but do that better. And, and that is, seems very daunting. That seems because everyone, especially in America, again, not to politicize myself, but, oh boy. <laughs> but, but we're taught that you can do anything if you put your mind to it, right? You can catch the game winning touchdown on the moon Olympics. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, there, it, there's kind of this awareness that you understand that, you know, there's so many other people out there and so many of them are doing great things. And that begs the question, well, what am I doing that's so great? But yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely something to conquer. Like it, it is setting you up for a great story. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's the setup. That's, that's a tale that's old as time, I think. Although maybe like, oh yeah, like uh, David Ber- and Goliath. Uh-huh. I'm making a lot of biblical references. I don't you know. You are I'm... making a lot of biblical references. It's because I started listening to these Jordan Peterson podcasts about. It doesn't matter. 
he doesn't need my plug. He's famous enough as it is. Um, but, but essentially, you know, uh, an underdog story. Right. And, and it's kind of like, I have started to recognize it or kind of look at it at that framework that, that like, I'm just setting myself up for the greatest, like underdog comeback story of all time. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I have all these confidence issues and I'm worried about all this stuff and oh like and that's that's precluding me from like doing great things. But not yet. Like I've got it. You got it? Yeah. I've got it. I've got this. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. We got this. I'm really glad I ended that on a positive note. Yeah. These these questions made me reflect a little bit too uh <laughs> We can do this. We can do this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote down a fear quote. Okay. From my favorite movie of all time, which is Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Oh yeah, yeah. it's a fantastic movie. Uh, it's very it's a it's a racist movie. <laughs> they have a a white guy playing an Asian man, and uh-huh. it's he does a great job. He's a great actor. He gives a great performance. But do you, but Joel Gray should not be playing a Korean man. <laughs> no, this is wrong. Yeah, but there's this point in the movie where uh, Remo. All right, so the movie is about a New York cop. Okay. That this government agency uh, fakes his death. Okay. So they, like, ram his car into the to a river, and he, like, drowns, and he's in a coma. And while he's in a coma, they give him plastic surgery and change his appearance and steal his identity and give him a brand new identity. Oh, my God. And then they train him to be an assassin. Okay. To kill people for the government. Okay. So... For his training, he goes and he sees this Korean guy, Chun. Okay. And Chun is, of course, the master of his craft and his skill. And he's this old guy and he's okay. great and he can dodge bullets. And Even though he's played by a white guy? Even though he's played by a white guy. Okay. The character Chun is Korean. And he can, like, <laughs> tap you on the elbow and then you, like, your half your body's crippled. And, oh, shit. And, like, he can tap your wrist and in sync with your pulse and make you fall asleep stuff like that the five touch exploding heart technique something like that yeah he can run really fast like over water <laughs> he's learned how to live, like make himself so light you can okay. run across water um but there's a point in the movie where he's uh teaching remo how to breathe and then he's like let's breathe breathing's important and then the next part of it is now it's time to breathe while you're running and he's on the rooftop in New York City and Chun starts running along the edge of this building like on the ledge. Oh wow, yeah. And he's just like running and he's like, come on, Remo, do this. And Remo hops on the ledge and he's like freaking out about falling down because he's afraid of heights. Uh-huh. And this Naturally. is this is Chun's quote. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right. Fear is just a feeling. You feel hot, you feel hungry, you feel angry, you feel afraid. Fear can never kill you. Purge your mind of that fear and believe in yourself. Without that belief, I can do nothing for you. Thank you for listening to Creativize, Strategize, and Synergize. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, share, and leave a rating. We'd really appreciate it. You can find Chris on social media using the handle at Elephant Scout. 
You can find me with at Atish Mazish. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter with at CSS Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at cscottcreate.com. Thank you so much.